and welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am here once again with another fairly crowded uh, studio. Well, virtual studio anyway. Tom is with me, of course. Of Tom, course. how are you? I'm fine. How are you, sir? I'm doing really well. Returning to the podcast is our good friend Floyd. Floyd, great to see you again. You too, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm just getting into character for our, for our movie. Oh, yeah, that was very good. I liked it. I kind of like that. <laughs> Uh, from now on, that's how you'll address us. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> I thought I was the commanding officer. Damn. <laughs> you, you are indeed. That's true. It is your podcast. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Some You're respect. responsible for this. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I've already been, I'm sure we've already been delegated obsolete by many other shows. But uh, it is fantastic to talk to you again, and I appreciate you coming on. Well, I want to start out with a news story that just popped up today uh, as we record this. I don't know if you guys knew, there is still one remaining Blockbuster video store open. (laughs) It is in Bend, Oregon. I heard about this, yes. (laughs) And uh, starting later this month, in the month of August, they're going to be a temporary Airbnb with a complete, like, (laughs) they're going to have the television set up, a little sleeper sofa, a VCR, (laughs) plenty of snacks. I love the VCR touch. Yes, it's yeah, awesome. Yep. <laughs> uh, they have a few restrictions, unfortunately, uh, because of the uh, COVID apocalypse that we are in. You have to be a resident of that county, and then you have to come from the same household. Same household. So there's no friends or, or anything, and no pets or anything like that allowed. So that's kind of unfortunate. But it is something that I hope it goes well. And they like might open it up to like people who might want to travel from out of town <laughs> in the future. Well, that that'd be cool. But I mean, I just gotta ask: uh, Are they going to charge extra for not rewinding the tapes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now, I'm sure that's 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 probably on the uh, rental agreement that you have to rewind to be kind. It's printed on the toilet paper in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Did you see how much it was per night? I did not. I didn't see that. Oh, oh yeah, I did. $4 per night. $4, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's fantastic. I love yeah. it. It costs more to rent a video. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so cool. I, if you're going to be the last blockbuster, you know, have, <laughs> yeah. have fun with it. Yeah. Isn't this the same place that John Oliver was trying to save once upon a time? Oh, I don't recall. I don't know. Yeah. He he was trying to save one by uh, purchasing oddities from the movies, which included like some sort of loincloth thing from the Gladiator. 
<laughs> okay. I don't recall. Very odd. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a, a fun little news story in a time when, you know, you could use fun news stories. There hasn't been all that much going on the last couple of weeks, not entertainment-wise, nothing really major. Uh, in lieu of any news stories to read, I decided to, well, I was inspired by another podcast, actually, uh, Verbal Diorama, who, if you don't listen to, you should, because she's a blast to, to listen to. She reviewed the film Serenity, the okay. the Firefly film, Serenity. And, of course, her talking about it, and all she has to do is says some of the lines and stuff, and I'm like, okay, now i got to go watch Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a, a Firefly rewatch over the last couple of weeks. And it's interesting watching that show now, having seen it. Having seen it a couple times now, and yeah. watching it. This is maybe my third time through this series. It's a good series. You it, it does the same thing that a lot of series kind of does in a season. There is definitely an up and a down throughout the season. Uh, the first couple episodes, you know, they're building the universe and stuff. You expect it to be a little little heavy, little, you know, oh, we got to do this, and we got to tell you about this, and we got to show you that. It's like, okay, okay, okay. And then um, the episode Train Job, which was only written to please Fox so they could get it on the air, apparently. So you, so you go, okay, I'll give that one an excuse, too. It's, it's an okay episode. You get to the middle of the season, though, and there's like three episodes, starting with Our Mrs. Reynolds, Janestown, and Out of Gas, are probably the most fun three hours of any television series that I can think of. Yeah. That's really the highlight. And then I have to admit that after that, while there's a couple, there's some great moments in like everything that comes later, it becomes just, oh, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's fun, but it's not fantastic. I was getting interesting opinions on it, watching it this time is all. And I said, I thought that was kind of interesting. It's kind of like, yeah, I, it surprised me how much that I didn't remember them really building up some of the relationships as fast as they were doing, you know, for something that was supposed to originally be meant as a seven-year uh, series. Yeah. They were burning through the whole uh, Mal and Inara and yeah. and Simon and Kaylee. I mean, they were burning through that stuff quick in the first season. It's like, man, you guys are going to... Re- run out of steam before you get to that second season even if you got it makes me kind of wonder when they knew what they knew about how long the series was going to last because that's true fox in and of itself like i don't know i I don't know from production on how much the series is being uh written filmed and edited while any of it's broadcasting i i catch your point but uh with the with all that, I'm just wondering if he was just trying to run through as much as he possibly could in the time because Fox was doing its its best job of trying to bury that show right out of the gate. Yeah, you could never watch it. Like it wasn't until it came out on on uh, video in any kind of sense where I was actually able to see the episodes in the order they they were intended to be watched. Right, right. It was just terrible. Yep. Was that a series you got into, Floyd? Um, no, not really. I think just because of what Tom mentioned, that it was hard to catch it. And, and uh, so all, all I've actually seen is the movie. 
Do you have really? seen Serenity then? Yeah. Okay. But I need to watch the series though. I'd I recommend I like it. it. I yeah, I, I think. Like it. Yeah, it's enjoyable. There's like a lot it. to like, and there are moments, especially in some of the episodes that I mentioned. I, I found myself actually sitting there on the couch chuckling at the TV in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's like late at night. I'm sitting there and I'm out loud chuckling at especially our Mrs. Reynolds and, yeah. and Janestown, which are kind of like the most lighthearted episodes uh, I think you're going to find in, in, in the series anyway. I think those were definitely sort of the comedic relief episodes because there's some heavy stuff that comes not so long after. And regardless of the storytelling rushed or a little just eh uh, with some of it, what made that series so um, such a fan favorite for most is that was a cast that was clear that they enjoyed every minute of what they did yeah, and it came yeah. out. So even in the stuff that's maybe a little lackluster, they were into it. So mm -hmm. it, it made it fun no matter whether or not it was an okay episode or not. Yeah, there's some special features on the uh, DVD set, uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff and interviews with the cast. And granted, all that stuff was recorded, you know, almost 20 years ago now, mm -hmm. or shortly after the series had finished or wrapped or whatever. You could tell. I mean, you could hear it in their voices when they talked about it. They're either really good actors or, yes, they actually really had an affection for what they did. And, well, Tom, you and I saw uh, three of the cast members together at yeah. Comic Expo last year. And you could tell how much fun they were having together. I mean, they were just three friends up there on stage. They just had a little chat together, and they're having a good time. And then it's like occasionally they look out and go, oh, yeah, there's an audience. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it was clear that they were so lost in their own moment because they're all – everything's almost an inside joke, and they're all laughing at each other, and the rest of us are out here. This is fun and all, but we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Literally, I think there was literally times where you went, remember that one time? Yeah, when he – uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and and then like, they'd laugh. <laughs> Guys, you got to expand. <laughs> Let us in on the joke. But yeah, no, they were that close, and it it, it shows every time. And then I just love that anytime May, um, Nathan Fillion gets involved in anything, he does his, his damn side best to bring each of them back into whatever it is that he's working on. Yeah, so, yeah. So they all make cameos into whatever work he's trying to do at the time. Yeah, very cool. Yes. So I'm glad you got to to revisit that. I'm sorry it wasn't quite as much as you remember. I still enjoyed it. It's still a great series. Uh, but like I said, it just I found it kind of like oh, especially when you get to that final episode again. Hmm. Well, of course, actually, well, I was going to say that's the final episode never aired. I think the last three episodes never aired in the original run. It wasn't right. until it went to home video that anybody even saw those. But. Again, I get to that last episode and go, hmm, so that's how they end it. Okay. <laughs> well, sure, it wasn't intentional. I mean, they would have loved to have kept going. But, right. Ah, at least they got their film. The film was, again, good. It was okay. It was fun. It was nice revisiting everybody. I still get choked up uh, toward the end, though. Wa the, the loss of Wash at the end uh, was just... Oh, a right. Uh, oh, the film, yes, yeah. And the film, that that was pretty sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was, even, even though I hadn't seen any, any of the series, it was still so well done that those of us who hadn't seen the series was still, um, it was still an emotional moment. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I think so it was very, very well done. 
for those of us who haven't seen a whole lot of Joss Whedon's previous work, um, you know, maybe people who had been watching Buffy and Angel and everything knew something like that was coming. Right. <laughs> I, I, however, was taken by surprise. <laughs> like you're saying, he likes to kill off beloved characters. Yeah, that's kind of his shtick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, he created a dangerous world. Things happen. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. But anyway, uh, that's all I've got. I don't know. Do you guys been doing anything fun? Tom, you were you were just talking before we started recording that you had a little you took a little break. I, I did. I took a much needed uh, little vacation uh, um, and uh, took a, an advice from you. Uh, used a little app uh, called Roadside America to find some goofiness in the immediate area and uh, came across this one. Um, I'm throwing it out there. Everyone, will, anyone that has any horror experience might have heard of Burkittsville, Maryland. Um, it's supposed to be the uh, the grounds for the Blair Witch Project and all of that. Um, went there with no intention for that, but found a thing on there called Spooky Hill. Again, not related to the Blair Witch at all. Uh, but this is one of those places where you go, um, and it gives instructions to go to the bottom of this valley, stop your car, um, and then put it in neutral, and you'll your car will begin to back up up the hill. Um, optical illusion or gravity or magnetics, I don't know, but um, it was pretty freaky to sit there in the car and have it just, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm not doing anything. <laughs> it's ghosts awesome. pushing your car. It's ghosts pushing your ghosts. car. Yep. Yeah, well, you know, I, I said ghosts. Uh, but Blair Witch, it's the Blair Witch. Yes, the Blair yes. Witch was pushing my car around. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, how sad to actually get there and find that there's not really anything in Burkittsville. <laughs> <laughs> but this this little hill was cool, and then it led to a trip down to see uh, uh, the Discovery Space Shuttle in, in person. Yeah. All those photos. Yeah, Like I said, I posted on there, I'm so jealous. I mean, I'm just a couple hours away from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base who applied to get a shuttle. Yes. Did not get a shuttle. Yeah, that's very sad. Yeah. We got a bunch of consolation prizes. <laughs> well, and, and what I, living in this area and being able to go to the Smithsonian, uh, you would think, oh, I can go to the Smithsonian. That's where they'll have it. And what they have at the actual Miss Smithsonian is the, uh, it, it's a mock-up. So it's, this is about the size and this is what you'll see on the inside and here's what you'll see on the outside, mm. but it's not a shuttle. You have to go to a different part of Virginia to go see the shuttle. So I finally got to go do that. That was awesome. Yeah, it's very cool. I'm very, very jealous of that. I was mm. very disappointed when Wright Pat didn't get theirs and we just got like yeah. a, oh, here's like a trainer cockpit or something or right. I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what's all up there, but Apparently, it was actually stuff that was, you know, touched by shuttle astronauts at some point. <laughs> well, I got to see the Atlantis. Oh, cool. Very cool. Very cool. Down, down in Florida. I, I, I came to tears. I always wanted, always wanted to see a shuttle. So when, when those doors opened up, when there was the Atlantis, I, 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 I teared up. 
<laughs> that's nice. That That's kind of what I, I still do it every time I watch the footage of the Apollo moon landing. I, I wasn't even alive when it happened. But I was. I, I was six. Yeah, you were six, yeah. I, I still I see that and I I get chills. I'm getting chills down my you know down the back of my neck now. Just talking about it, whenever I see it or hear that, hear the audio or whatever, I can't help it. I get very emotional at that. The thing that was particularly nice for seeing the discovery was um, I can honestly say while I was going to school in Florida for a time, I got to while I wasn't near Canaveral at the time, but you're. In Florida, in the rough area, you can see when a shuttle goes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've gotten to see at least the contrail of it uh, it going up. And then I have actually gotten to see it uh, ride piggyback on a Boeing. Oh, nice. <laughs> I get to see the contrail once. I was vacationing down in Florida when there was a shuttle launch. And I'm like on the other side of the state. Yes. And you could we could sit there and you could see it go up. Oh yeah, no, it's not. It's kind of hard to miss. Yeah, <laughs> if you're in the state of Florida, you probably can at least see something. Yep. But no, uh, seeing it fly overhead, piggybacked on on the 747, that was uh, that's a sight to behold because that thing was a bit really high. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, holy crap! <laughs> Is that thing coming down? Yeah. But no, that it was a good time to go see that, and then oddly enough, of all things, they had um, they had the a model from Close Encounters of the Third Kind of the Muttered Ship there, kind of oh, like cool. you know, if all of this history and, and actual feats of engineering aren't uh, exciting you, here go look at this uh, model of the mothership. <laughs> nice, like, like, whatever. It was kind of random. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Floyd's, what's going on, buddy? Well, I um, my new grandparent, grandfather. Yeah, congratulations! Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks. That was that was pretty cool, and I got to hold the little girl three days after she was born. So that was nice. My uh, here I am, fifty-seven years old, and I think this was my first time holding a baby. I don't recall ever <laughs> holding a baby before. My sister nice. thinks that I actually held my great nephew at one point, but I don't recall. So, oh well. But uh, but uh, so uh, it was a. Uh, it was really cool, and I learned that she's not made of porcelain. I could, you know, have been a little more interactive <laughs> with her, but first time holding a baby. <laughs> yeah, very cool. It was great seeing my, it was great seeing my wife uh, hold her and interacting with her. I thought, okay, I'll be a little more interactive when I next time I hold her. Yeah, yeah. Now, careful, they'll get you to change a diaper next. Yep. Uh, my goal <laughs> in life is, to, I have this one goal: get through entire my entire life without changing a diaper. So we'll see. Good, good luck with that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, you had, you had a post on Facebook that you put up the podcast for Falling Down, so you get some comments uh, about about the episode. So I have a comment. Great. Uh, Love about, to hear it. About the episode. Uh, I saw the film uh, in theaters. I've only seen it once, maybe twice. There was an episode of Criminal Minds called Normal that really reminded me of this film. And uh, mm-hmm. you remember Skinner from uh, the X Files? Sure. Yeah, Mitch uh, Pelagi. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Imagine him in that role. Oh, oh, a little bit more formidable. And uh, so he he played an episode of Criminal Minds where this everyday guy suddenly starts going on a killing spree. 
Yeah, and in this episode, though, he wound up, he, he actually murdered his family, but he didn't realize it. He kept seeing them. He was gone crazy. And uh, uh, it was a very powerful episode. At the end of it, at the end of it, he realized what he had done. And he did such a fantastic job coming to the realization that I just murdered my, my family. But, uh, uh. But as I, I like watched, that. That's a neat twist. Yeah. I like that. That's yeah. cool. kind of like it's painted on backward from what uh, <laughs> what uh, falling down was. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But, uh, but when I watched the episode, I thought this is kind of like falling down <laughs> a little bit. I like it. But I like yeah. that twist. Yeah. So it, that was really good. So and, and the uh, I watched the on YouTube today. I watched the uh, the whammy burger scene, <laughs> and, uh, and I will say that even though what you get is rarely what's depicted on the menu board because that food is fake and carefully constructed, yes. made of plastic. <laughs> I, thought, I thought they overdid it a bit when he opens it up and like the whole bun smashed down. And, <laughs> you know, like, okay. You know, that might be a little exaggeration, but, but it was, it was a really classic scene. Actually, this might interest you, Floyd, the food, you can't advertise food unless it is the food. Right. So uh, well, what has, has to be a, uh, a, accurate representation of it it can still be fake but it has to be an mm. accurate representation i don't think so when you actually when they photograph food it has to be the food well, let's uh, say you know beauty shots well, for fast food might be different but if you're advertising something that you're going to be selling uh in stores and stuff they actually have to photograph the food, like okay, like like a, like a bowl of cereal. You want to photograph yeah. a bowl of cereal for the box in the cereal, or for an ad in your coupon, or something. All those flakes actually came out of a box of cereal. Okay, they oh, yeah, go no. through and pick out all the best flakes. Now everything else around <laughs> it can be fake. They can pour it yeah. in like they can Elmer's pour it in glue. Elmer's glue to hold <laughs> it together, but every okay. flake has to be an actual piece of oh, cereal. Wow. Well, not to mention Elmer's glue freshly poured. You won't get a whiter white and a right. more smooth surface. Milk doesn't look the same. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, even uh, ice cream. I've seen them. I've seen specials and and, and uh, documentaries and stuff on this ice cream. They'll keep it in a deep freezer and everything uh, until it's time to. And then they'll pull it out and they'll try to get a bunch of shots and then they'll put it away again before it starts to melt um, because it has to be the ice cream. No, I did an internship once where they they were doing um, photo shoots and video capture for for commercials and stuff. And yes, they use the real thing, but there's all sorts of little trickery to puff it up and make it look better. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah, like I wouldn't try to actually eat what you see. It might contain <laughs> the food, but it contains other things too. <laughs> Definitely a hamburger patty. Wrapped around a whoopee cushion. Yeah, so we can blow it yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> Floyd, you were you were telling me before we started recording the audio, you didn't find the audio too uh too annoying on the last episode. I felt oh, really bad about no, no. that. No, it was it was okay. And like when it first started, it's like, yeah, there's a little issue there, but once I started listening to it, I really didn't notice because I was focused on the content. Oh well I so, appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we were so riveting and, and, and entertaining that you 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 could, you could yeah. overlook the our, obvious uh, terrible compression of, of the our, audio. Our wisdom and wit rises above <laughs> technical quality. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and don't tell anybody otherwise. <laughs> That's right. 
Well, Matt made the episode, so you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Hey. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, both my co-hosts make the episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and do, uh, that Chris guy. Don't worry about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm merely the vehicle. <laughs> That's going to do it for the opening of the show. I think we'll take a short break here. And when we get back, we're going to talk about 1998's Soldier. Technology will allow us to explore new worlds and change the way we live like never before. But there is one thing that will never change. Who we are. He was programmed from birth to be part of the most invincible army in history. But like all scientific advancements... They're practically manufactured using DNA profiles. He was destined to become obsolete. More endurance. Better hand-eye. It's a whole different standard. What do we do with him? Waste disposal. His training had prepared him for anything. Except this. Now, on a remote planet, a community of outcasts faces extermination. I want that planet secured by 0600. What about opposition? They will be officially classifiable as hostiles. Find weapons and prepare to fight. You have to organize us. For this soldier, it may be too late to feel human. How do you know they'll be back? Because they're soldiers like me. But it's never too late to be a hero. I'm going to kill them all. Russell. Soldier. Todd, played by Kurt Russell, has been raised since birth to be the perfect soldier. Strong, emotionless, without a conscience, and obedient. He suddenly finds himself and his team regarded as obsolete when a group of genetically engineered men, led by Jason Isaacs' Colonel Meekum, prove themselves the stronger soldiers 2.0. After losing a fight with super soldier Kane, played by Jason Scott Lee, Todd is left for dead and thrown out with the trash. He awakens just in time to be dumped on the waste disposal planet Arcadia 234. 
He discovers a colony of shipwreck survivors making a meager existence, and he is nursed back to health and befriended by Mace, played by Sean Pertwee, his wife, Sandra, played by Connie Nielsen, and their mute son, Nathan. Finding life as anything but a soldier uh, nearly impossible for Todd, he is cast out of the community, but that doesn't stop him from doing everything he can to protect them from a murderous security sweep by the super soldiers. Now, this is a film I remember watching. I think it was one of these things that just showed up on the video store shelf, um, probably 99, 2000, something like that, because uh, it probably went the video as fast as they could because it didn't do anything in the box office, unfortunately. And I remember watching it and finding it, I thought that was a good film. I remember being really kind of impressed with this movie the first time I watched it. Uh, I also remember the second time I watched it, maybe being not as impressed, but still enjoying it. And now this being my third time watching it, I think I still feel the same way. I mean, there's, there's flaws. It's not perfect, but I still enjoy it. So let's start with uh, uh, Floyd, since you're our guest here. What's your experience with this film? Well, I saw it in the theater. Oh, and, so uh, you, were yeah. one, you were the one? Yes, <laughs> I, I, I helped contribute to the uh, to the uh, twelve dollars it made uh, <laughs> in the box office. Actually, yeah, I, think like million. Million. I think it's like twelve million. I think is what it made. Uh, about Something fourteen like and a half is what about I read. Fourteen and a half. Okay, um, but uh, I had kind of the opposite experience. What you did, Chris? The first time I saw it, I thought, eh, it was okay. But then I actually didn't see it again until I watched it again for this episode. But um, I started as I started thinking about it more, and not just for this episode, but after I saw it and I started thinking about it, and and uh, I started liking it better because I started remembering parts of the movie. And this is one where where um, I didn't forget anything, even though I only saw it once and now twice. I didn't forget anything about it. <laughs> I pretty much remembered everything about it. So that you know, it stuck with me and in a good way. Because I came to appreciate it more after viewing it and thinking about it, and to me, that's the mark of a good movie. Is is if uh, if you come back and you think about it, and it sticks with you, but it's not in a bad way. It, it sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, in fairness, there isn't a lot to this movie as that's far as point. like. <laughs> <laughs> this is a reasonably one-dimensional movie. In yeah. fact, uh, um, <laughs> this the. There's no story. <laughs> there, let's be real. This has no story to it. They they try to create something, but this is an excuse to get Kurt Russell really pumped up and have him blow things up and beat people up. <laughs> that's that's what this movie was. A and it little was ex- bit. And it was an excuse to... Um, Figure out how best to waste time with slow motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something I, I noticed this time that I don't remember noticing the other two times I watched it is there was occasionally times where this film, just for split seconds, said, mm-hmm. okay, let's be artistic. Yeah. <laughs> and it stands out like, okay, what's with the slow motion raindrop on a leaf thing? And then, <laughs> that, that, that's your transition? Where, what, where does that come from? <laughs> or the slow motion pause on uh, Kurt Russell's blank expression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Did I hit pause or is he still? <laughs> is he looking poignantly or is he just bored? Yeah. Well, honestly, that's one of the things that I still remember from the first time I watched it is I found Kurt Russell's performance actually kind of what I consider sort of the highlight for me. I think he does a really yeah. great job mm-hmm. conveying the uncomfortableness. Um, the um, uh, there, There's the one scene where, well, you can take this a couple different ways. I took it, I found that you could take this more than one way. Uh, when he's talking with uh, Sandra and she hugs him and you see him shaking. And now my, my first take was that, you know, he's, about ready to explode because someone is effectively, you know, invading his personal space Mm -hmm. and he's trying hard not to react and not, you know, bust out and, and, and hurt her. Now we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about that scene, I think, but I just remember that seeing that and, and other moments like that where it's like, he doesn't say almost anything in this film. Uh, I think I saw a, a stat where he's in like 85% of the film, but only speaks 104 words. That sounds a little high. Yeah. <laughs> so every, everything has to be conveyed just through uh, his, his emotion, his, um, his body language. Mm-hmm. And I thought he did a really good job at that. I, I'd have to believe that's what even attracted him to do it. Uh, is, uh, this was, a. a this was an exercise in, in um, what am I trying to say? In in, in acting through just presence, mm-hmm. uh, it's body language. It's not. It's not. Can you say the lines better than somebody else? This is entirely about how you are in the moment and how your body reacts and how how we perceive you. Um, it's interesting you brought up the scene about the hug thing because. Uh, um, I think it was prior to him getting a hug was uh, there. They had actually, they set a creepy tone because uh, again, this is a guy that has been separated from what a normal human life is. He has been essentially programmed since he was born to be this soldier. Uh, so he's separated from normal life and they did a kind of semi creepy thing where he seemed to kind of zero in on her chest um, mm-hmm. and stare longer than was comfortable uh, at, at a woman because I don't think he's actually ever seen one and not in that way. Right. So he's also, uh, at, but I think they were effective in, con- in, and he was an effective actor in conveying this is deeply confusing to him in this moment. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't yeah. know what he's feeling. Yeah. That's actually the the scene right prior to her where she talks to him and wants to know what it's like being a soldier, what his life has been like. And he replies that it's been fear and obedience. Mm-hmm. That's that's what his life is. And she finds that terrible. And she, she hugs him trying to comfort him and then quickly realizes this isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> that, but yeah, he's comforting. doing the shaking. But it is – that's where I, I picked up this time because – the scene just prior to that is the one is he's noticing her as a woman. Yeah. Which you're right because he's been separated from, he's never had, he may never have been with a female companionship wise. Uh, they've done nothing but targets on military exercises admissions. And so when I see that now, I almost wonder, especially the way they cut it and she kind of steps back and she's looking at it like, 
you could throw in, did he just have like a little sexual experience right in that moment? Yeah. <laughs> and I think I you think, could draw uh, that conclusion. <laughs> yeah, Tommy mentioned about the about the story being one-dimensional, not much of a story. But it's Kurt Russell's performance, as you guys are talking about that, that's what stuck with me and made me think about the movie more and come to appreciate it more was his performance and how they and how they could have taken his character and then softened him up, you know, and then made you know, made him you know, like really fit into the community and everything. But they didn't. They kept him as the soldier to where he still doesn't fit in. I mean, you know, they I thought they, they kept true to he kept true to the character and the writer or whoever wrote this kept true to that soldier character throughout, I thought. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, because he stays the soldier, because he stays mm-hmm. the person that he doesn't know any other life than being uh the obedient soldier. He calls everybody sir. It doesn't matter who they are. He never softens. He it's not the uh the trope of uh Oh, now you get him out of the uh, environment and suddenly he warms up and he, he can smile. And maybe that's something that could happen years down the road. But in the time frame that we see this film, it's that that's not there. He is and it, it creates him and keeps him a very sympathetic character. I mean, he's he's a tragic character. While I, I'm making fun of the one-sidedness of uh, <laughs> of this particular non-story, what what's hard to miss is there are a lot of really good ideas in here, like like what we're touching on now. The the, the notion that they they did write it well from the perspective of you have made this guy a soldier since birth, so this brief little window in his life while is might set him on a different path. He's not going to change in that period of time. They they wrestled with that earlier in the movie. Is this is a this is a forty year old soldier at this point that's seen a ton of action. There's been a lot of abuse to his body and his psyche, um, and that's the thing that they're going for is that net notion of uh, uh, new and improved versus old and experienced. Right. Um, that that's a that's a a trope that they're trying to get in here, but the way that they're handling it with him is that he's very much the soldier. But all the little elements, like uh, like you were saying, Floyd, he doesn't fit in. Well, he's not gonna fit in. The, the these are people that live relatively normal lives, happy lives, and these are not the lives of this soldier. So that struggle between what what his world is versus what the regular world is, is really there. I think uh, they, they had a lot of good stuff going on, uh, but it centered around a fairly silly event, event overall. I think this is a, a nice representation. I shouldn't say nice representation. It's a good representation and maybe a little exaggerated, but not as exaggerated as you might think of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, current modern mm-hmm. soldiers today have these issues. The the one moment when he's, I forget what it is he's doing, but the the one guy comes up behind him to give him a scarf as a as mm. a present, yeah. and he's like, "Hey, thanks," and puts his hand on his shoulder. And of course, 
uh, Todd just turns around, grabs him by the neck, and starts to strangle him. Yeah. It's it's natural reaction that he's being attacked and he has to defend himself. That is not com- really uncommon with uh, you know mm-hmm. military uh, soldiers that have seen you know a, a lot of action. Yeah, uh, it, when there's that uh, th- when there's too much commotion and some yes. of the some of the sights, some of the motions, some of the light flashing, some of the la- louder bangs can trigger a, a memory or a moment and and they effectively did that in, in this that he is nothing but those moments mm-hmm. so it's a struggle for him to not just murder everybody that's in front of him because <laughs> that uh, that was one of the things that they did play nicely early on is as he was coming up as a child he was the one that was ready to go beyond what was reasonable like he'll shoot through the victim to get to his target because he's a soldier he's going after the target anything else is collateral damage so now you've stuck him in in this uh, in this environment where nobody wants to kill him but everything that's around him sets him off like it's going to Mm -hmm. so he reacts accordingly Yes. Which is why it's scaring the hell out of the villagers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think this this movie could be used as kind of like a if if you didn't understand what PTSD was, you could watch scenes from this movie and get a pretty good uh, good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely the Christmas party when everyone's dancing around and like you were saying, the music playing. It's like nope, too much. I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've even seen this to some extent with my own brother who served time in uh, in the Middle East, who does not like crowded rooms, mm-hmm. uh, does not like sitting at a room where he can't see the door, um, who gets a little nervous if he's sitting at a red light for too long, <laughs> you know, yeah. because these are the these are the times you know sitting in, in in traffic for too long can lead yourself to being a target for a sniper. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of thing. So I've I've seen this, and that's that's represent, represented in this film. I think you know pretty well. Oh, very much so. And and conveyed really well through Kurt, mm-hmm. Kurt Russell's performance, and the fact that the people around him don't understand. They don't know how to. What do I? I can't do anything. And that's right. You can't. <laughs> that's the problem. It's almost like the. Someone had a really good idea here with the soldier being put into this environment and, and, you know, they, that character is good. And the people who didn't understand, they maintain that not understanding, but they didn't know what else, what else to do with, with the rest of it. You know? Yeah. So, so they want to uh, falling back on, you know, typical tropes of, uh, Oh, you know, the, uh, overwhelming odds, you know, all the soldiers coming in, he has to take them all on and, and things like that. So, I mean, like you were saying, Tom, there's some good ideas here and, uh, and they, they could, it could have gone in a different direction. And th- this could have been a really good movie. Um, if they could have come up with a better story. Yeah, I know. I think they backed away from some of the more dramatic elements in, in because they wanted to get to the action parts. Well, and you know, the script was apparently already like 15 years old before it actually finally made it to film. Oh, yeah? So maybe that might have something to do with it, too. Or maybe it's just the time it was made is you an action film is an action film. You can't have 
deep meanings and things like that um, at that time, which might explain why the box office was as bad for this film as it was, is, you know, they tried to actually put a little bit of meaning and try to have a, a some sort of messages within this story. And it was like, uh, yeah, why isn't he shooting something? You know, <laughs> yeah. He's a soldier, but he he doesn't shoot anything until it until the end of the film. Um, I, I gotta get to this. Uh, how long is that ride in that in that trash trash ship? <laughs> yeah, that is curious. That he, he left for dead, literally looking like he's dead with his eyes open, and he gets thrown out. And days later, finally comes through. Someone else pointed out too, like. It seems really odd that they would pressurize a garbage cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you could lose your mind on some of the technical stuff. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't uh, give it too much thought. <laughs> oh, and, and, and no, and nor do I. I'm not going to dwell on that. But, but the, the whole notion that he made it from... Uh, a, after the fight that rendered him and two of his uh, fellow soldiers uh, supposedly dead... Um, and that they were prepared to throw them out literally in the trash um, because, you know, uh, I'd love to know what this organization was and <laughs> and, and all that. Uh, like, these are the things, like, they wanted to get to the story. They wanted to get to the meat, the, the what, it, what it was like for him to be a soldier in a normal world. They were, they, they rushed really hard, but they introduced these elements that made him a soldier in the first place. And you're kind of, especially now, I mean, this is dated, this is a dated piece at this point. So, um, but you're kind of like, what is this group? Where did they come from? What are they fighting? Who's fighting who? It, there's, there's some backstory I wanted and <laughs> I, I didn't get, mm. but, but yeah, the, the, so this organization is capable of just deciding to throw human beings into a trash can, basically. And yet the trash can travels to some planet we don't know of and gets there fast enough that he doesn't die just inside the ship. It would have been more interesting if they kind of told a little bit of the story in reverse. Like, had him and his men uh, meeting up with the super soldiers on the trash world as some sort of exercise, you know, competition, whatever, have everything play out. He's left behind for dead. You know, you don't need him. He's garbage. Leave him with the garbage. They leave and then have the colonists crash, you know, have time pass. Maybe he lives on this planet for months on his own and then have the colonists crash. And suddenly he now has these, these, objects that are now here that you know he doesn't know what to deal with he's been by so now he's got ptsd as a soldier he's been by himself for who knows how long and now suddenly there's all these people and and then maybe he gets injured and they nurse him back to health something like that you'd have to work in something that would allow him to even interact with them for some reason but that would kind of get around some of the technical aspects and still get you up to where you need to be. I think they have some really good elements that, that even in some cases were done really well, but there was a lot of rush to get it all mixed together. So, which takes you a little out of the story when you're doing that. 
I got some trivia bits on this. I don't know if you guys read uh, any of this. I got them from my IMDb and a few other sources here. Uh, we didn't even mention director is Paul W.S. Anderson. So this is the second uh, second time we've talked about one of his films on the show. Uh, first one being uh, Event Horizon. He admits that the film did not turn out the way he'd originally <laughs> intended. Uh, he and his screenwriter, David Webb Peoples, had always envisioned the movie as a classic Western, a sort of Shane set in space, and wanted to film in wide open environments and existing locations as much as possible. Kurt Russell insisted on bulking up for the role naturally, so he had taken several months to get to that shape that he was in. And by the time he was done training and the filming was ready to start, uh, the El Nino hurricane caused such bad weather conditions on the selected locations that they wanted to use, they, they couldn't film on location. So they had to find themselves kind of studio-bound. Oh, and so that sort of uh, limited what they could do. And I have to think that that might have been just a cascade of, okay, now we got to keep it really simple. We can't do this. We can't do this big, you know, we can't do this chase. We can't do fight off the cliff or we can't do this. He had to keep scaling things down till you get pretty much just to the basic, okay, they crash, he gets on the planet, uh, they make friends, and now he has to fight. And, and you know what? <laughs> that would explain why there there's a – there's a film here with some some solid performance, some really neat uh, elements that could have come together much better that may have been forced into rushing into some things that they just couldn't. By technical and, uh, and circumstance, they couldn't avoid. Now, does the name uh, David Webb Peoples mean anything to either of you two? It sounds familiar. It sounds vaguely familiar. He was the screenwriter for Blade Runner. You know what? I can feel a little of that. He actually always he always envisioned this as kind of a, uh, as he put it, a sidequel to Blade Runner. He thinks this takes place in the same universe. So the super soldiers we're, we're seeing mm-hmm. in this film, they're replicants or perhaps forerunners of replicants. Probably where you, you did this first and then came up with replicants because you wanted to. And that could be more or less what those genetically created uh, um, super soldiers were, were supposed to be like replicants. I could see that. Mm-hmm. And you, actually, if you, if you look, if you watch on the trash, occasionally you'll, you'll, there's all kinds of little Easter eggs uh, scattered throughout the trash. One of them is a spinner. <laughs> One of the vehicle, the flying cars from Blade Runner. I was going to even say that, but I, I couldn't commit to having seen one. <laughs> Yeah, you, you at one scene, I think near the end, they kind of do a pan over a mountain, and at the bottom of the mountain, you or the of the uh, pile of trash, the bottom of the pile of trash, you see this two like uh, the prong wheels sticking out from a spinner. So I'm like, okay, very cool. I like this. I like that as the idea that this is a, a you know takes place in the Blade Runner universe. That, That's cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Now, now, since we're bringing up the the junk planet, and I realize what they were going for in the scene, but why did the uh, settlers all feel that they needed to get a piece of uh, something that's in front of a giant spinning wheel of death? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would have think the giant combine or whatever that yeah. is would have been. They would have maybe nailed that down a little bit. <laughs> Taking it apart when the wind's not blowing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
like they they went out of their way to point out that the, these these uh, windstorms come in fast and furious right from the get go of getting on this place. But uh, but yeah, to suggest they're gonna go for some piece of junk that happens to be sitting through in front of a, a Cuisinart. Yeah, of course he gave Todd the opportunity opportunity to save the guy. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And that's what I was saying too. If they had to keep kind of dialing down the epicness of the story, they had to do a lot of shorthand. Yeah. And this that just might be another one of those cases where they had ten pages and they had to cut it down to two. Right. You know. Yeah. When I saw that scene, my thought was, okay, I don't understand why they're doing this, but obviously they have a reason for doing it. And I just went with it, thought, you know, well, we're, in, you know, they've been there for a while and they understand how everything works and what they have to do. So I just went with it. <laughs> and that is the thing with this film is you do have to just go with it. This is just a go with it kind of movie. Absolutely. It, it, uh, I do not want to detract from the fact that this is a fun film and it, it is, uh, it, it, it's very visually appealing uh, it's got lots of good elements, and there's a deeper story in there. Yeah, but I, I, I also have to chuckle when it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> yes, yes. It Bye-bye. takes it adds to the fun. <laughs> you gotta, ha- you can't help but be amused too that it's Kurt Russell that is saving Michael Chiklis in that moment. Uh, a, a guy is usually known for his being a relatively badass himself in most other things. Is that who that was? That's exactly was... who that was. Yeah, you know, and he seems so familiar to me, too, and I couldn't place it. Yep, no, uh, you can't place that bald head. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I couldn't place him. That is funny. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I didn't realize this was going to be kind of a, a reunion movie from uh, Event Horizon, because we got directing, director Paul Anderson... We've got Sean Pertwee again, and we got Jason Isaacs again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, all coming, all, all came off of uh, Event Horizon. The funny thing is, uh, and, and I'll admit outright, I would have placed this uh, movie as far older than it is. Mm-hmm. This feels like an earlier '90s film than a 1998 film. And that's where I, I was going back, and I was I was thinking about you have to tell the story in like really short because it's an '80s action film and. No, no, actually, it's a late 90s action film, but I really feel like it was kind of written as an 80s action film. Like, I would have said Stargate was after this one, and it is actually four years before this one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a real oddball. It is a feels a little bit of a throwback as far as style and theme. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought, too, that for being a 98 film, that their timeline for the technology getting us to another planet was way too soon. So it was, you know, it was like 2046, I think it's when, or something like that. And, uh, and now that, you know, they're dumping garbage, garbage on other planets. And that was just, uh, technology wouldn't advance that quickly. Forget, you know, faster than light travel or whatever. You'd think our recycling technology would have uh, <laughs> been a little bit more advanced. They wouldn't throw away an entire aircraft yeah, carrier. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I've been dying to bring up the aircraft carrier. I'm like, how the hell did they get that there? Intact. <laughs> yeah, you would have thought you would have thought we could have either 
torn that down or repurposed that in some way. But the fact that it went to the planet whole. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like, you saw the ships that were dumping things out, and they were making these these kind of meat piles of things, and there's an aircraft carrier. like Just sitting on top. All right. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and it was sitting on top, so... How long was that thing just floating around before they finally decided to throw it away? <laughs> Makes you kind of uh, see now, now uh, because they were so, we've only seen like uh, on Earth, and we can only assume they were even on Earth when they were doing the whole the whole new soldier, old soldier uh, thing. Because right. we're only in a warehouse, uh, more or less. Um, mm. But it, it, if this is the junk planet. And we have thrown away an entire aircraft carrier. What does Earth look like? Well, we've seen it because it's in Blade Runner. It's ah. raining <laughs> and it's dark and uh, <laughs> neony. And... Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. That's the only thing that kind of pulls it away from the. Uh, while it's supposed to be sort of in the same universe, you know, a lot of the characteristics of like Blade Runner don't carry through uh you don't have that the asian influence anywhere uh in soldier like you did in blade runner right um which would have if it was actually going to be in the same universe it would have been kind of neat to see in some way maybe that's why maybe this is that alternate faction and uh they haven't adopted those (laughs) yeah that's true we only see saw one you know quote-unquote nation or whatever in blade runner right who knows what the rest of that world looks like? Culturally, I when you talk about uh, some of the the battles that were tattooed on him, and some of the mm-hmm. the quick scenes that we cut through early in the movie, yeah, this could be culturally different and very uh, strict in how it adheres to at least the militaristic style of the United States. Yeah, some of those the the tattoos on him and what you see on some of his readouts and everything. Again, uh, you actually see uh, references to uh, the Battle of Tannhauser Gate, mm-hmm. which is another Blade Runner reference. Right. They actually do a lot of. Again, this movie is full of Easter eggs. There's all kinds of references. There's a reference to they abbreviate the. Uh, Oh, what was it? From uh, Looney Tunes, Marvin the Martian and his uh, explosive space modulator. Yeah. They abbreviate that down. <laughs> so he's proficient. He's proficient in that particular weapon. Uh, there's lots of little nods to other sci-fi uh, franchises, both Blade Runner, Star Trek, uh, Star, all kinds of stuff in this film. If you if you read all the little readouts and stuff like that, they're really kind of cool. Oh well, now I gotta watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I know, tough, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah, really. Thanks, yeah, because I, I, I love picking up on those things, and I'm afraid I watched this one probably a little too late in the day to, to, yeah. to, to catch well, those. Well, you can go to IMDb and read and pretty much get the uh, the, the tall and skinny of it, but I <laughs> having read it and then watched the film, I did look out for it, and yep, it is all there. That's awesome. That's uh, you gotta You got to dig that. At least, uh, you know... It knew where it was coming from, and it's paying homage to those things. It's nice. I didn't find a lot of reviews from the time. I did find one from the New York Times. Critic Stephen Stephen Holden wrote in October of 1998. Now, just a couple excerpts here from his review. 
He says, Brawn without brains can't accomplish much beyond wrecking glorious, mindless destruction. That's the message that leaks through Soldier, a high-testosterone science fiction fantasy. And he says, like most science fiction movies, Soldier uh, is much better at the wind-up than at the pitch. He said it quickly becomes a sticky, predictable, and mediocre episode of Star Trek. The last third of Soldier is a dull, phony-looking series of fiery scenes culminating in an inevitable showdown between Todd and Kane. The action is strictly routine. Unfortunately, I kind of have to agree with most of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's more to it. Like Tom's been saying, there's a better story here. We just didn't get a chance to see it on the screen. No, it was a rush to its action. And I agree completely. As action goes, it's pretty telegraphed and mundane. We've seen all this before. There's nothing standout about it. So... No, no, then there's not even any one of those really like, oh my God, did you see that action scene? Yeah, no. Either. Yeah. It's all, it is very, very pat. The big explosion at the end is is so non-exciting that, <laughs> like, the movie's over at this point. You know the good guys are getting away, yet kind of, like, just don't care. Like, quite frankly, it would have been funnier if the thing hadn't gone off and they had just left those people there by the by the yeah by the bomb because i mean they weren't going anywhere (laughs) right he didn't even need the bomb he didn't even need any of that you could have just you could have disarmed the bomb and said all right and thrown him out the ship and left him because what are they going to do they're stranded on a world that no one else visits except every 15 years or whatever they do these security sweeps and that's what was disappointing about uh, Jason Isaac's character in this. I like, yeah, uh, seriously, uh, one di- calling it one dimensional would be generous. I mean, he was just a reason to have an asshole in the film <laughs> to to keep driving the senseless uh, violence that was about to ensue. Gary Busey as the other commander wasn't really much better. No. I mean, he was just a stereotype. He was practically, he, he could have been in uh, Dr. Strangelove for crying out <laughs> loud. I mean, he was that level of military commander. Like we are giving it a lot of credit for looking for the parts that are good. And there is good there. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's in this uh, rather mundane shell. It's still a movie that I think I would go back and watch mm-hmm. again, just for, just because I could, um, but yeah, it's not one that I would like. Oh, you you need to see this film, Soldier. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it's never going to be that. But yes, no, it's it, it's good background uh, viewing. And and now that I I didn't actually know the link uh, to uh, to all that other stuff, so I, I think it'd be fun to go back and watch it, look for all the little Easter eggs. Um, and oh, here, to know that it, it it exists in this other universe that that like, they give it a little spin. Yeah, here's some that I that I found. Uh, I guess when uh, they show his uh, Taz dossier, um, he has accommodations including the Pliskin patch, yes, the McCready <laughs> cross, and the O'Neill <laughs> ring aw- ring award. <laughs> yes. So, so I want to see. Yes, those little. Like, said uh tom i want to go back and watch again just to catch those little easter eggs so i can spot them you know and i i think that's why i'd want to watch this again was a one to watch kirk's 
Russell's performance again, and then they catch those little Easter eggs. No, I think it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, we're seeing him at the kind of like end of his action movie line in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be covering a couple more films that take place a little earlier when he's a, a, quite a bit younger. And I think I remember reading uh, someone asked him why he took an action film this late in life. And he's like, I needed the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know what? We y- You have to be fair. The a- actors do this, one, because they like acting. But I mean... You can like your job. You still got to get paid. You still got to get fed. And you don't know how long it'll last. You said, too, the idea um, of the type of character that he was playing, I think, had to have been attractive to him. Right. Especially, okay, you're, you're, you're middle-aged. Okay, here's a story about a middle-aged soldier at the end of his career because he's being you know replaced by the new younger model or whatever. Rendered obsolete. And, <laughs> and here's this guy... This thing that he's got PTSD and he's going to be in this world that he doesn't understand. I'm like, if I were an actor, I would see that as being, oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds that's an attractive role. You're, you're playing your age. Another <laughs> thing too, which I think is great. And yeah, and then he actually went to the effort and balked up for this thing, so he looked like a, someone that has done this since he was born. Right. I, I think it really works really well. I think it works really well for him. I think it works well for the character. I think it adds a little bit of realism. But no, yeah, no, it hits on all of those. Uh, I think that was the right time in life. I think there's a lot to be said for what was going into it. And there's a lot of, uh, granted, there's some there's some fairly wooden characters in here. They are, they are, they are set pieces mostly, but there's some decent there are decent actors in here and there's some decent acting that has been done in, in this. It's yeah. just, it wanted to be more than it got to be. <laughs> well, I'm really glad they actually went with, they, the character was a middle-aged man. I'm glad they went with a middle-aged actor mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and then didn't throw someone in younger to pretend, you know, <laughs> that they're 40 Nash. when you know, they're only, you know, 30 or they're only 25. I really hate when they do that, that kind fake of stuff. aging stuff yeah. is really terrible. Yeah. They, they, they throw some gray in their hair and that, Oh, look now you're 50. Like, no, no, he's still 30. It, yeah. It, yeah. It's even worse when they get the pancake makeup and they just double it up to make it look like it's a glitz wrinkles and crows. Yeah. And like, yeah. dude, just wash your face. <laughs> I did notice, uh, speaking of actors that are in the film, uh, Sean Pertwee, I think, amazingly, you know, it's only a year or two after Event Horizon, but I think he looks more like his dad in this film than he did in Event Horizon. <laughs> I saw John Pertwee so many times in this. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. See, most of my Sean Pertwee experience comes from the more current stuff where he he played uh, uh, Alfred on the... Uh, on the uh, Gotham uh, series. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, so for me to see him that young was kind of like, oh, wow! <laughs> <laughs> like, he was young once. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Michael Chiklis, mm-hmm. and so th- that's the name. You know, Jason Isaacs, like I said, he was, uh, was it Lorca in Star Trek Discovery? Mm-hmm. was probably his most recent stuff. Jason Scott Lee... He was, um, oh, he played Bruce he Lee in Dragon Bruce the Bruce Lee, Lees. Yeah. That was He was amazing brilliant. in that. Yeah, great film there. Uh, aside from those, Kent 
actually say many other people. Oh, Gary Busey, we mentioned, and this was before he had his motorcycle accident and went freaking crazy. Um, well, Connie Connie Nielsen's been in some things. Like she was in Gladiator. Um, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I know she. No, everyone was working actors. It wasn't like this is the only thing they did. A lot of them, uh, but it wasn't anyone I was really familiar with. Uh, not a lot other than the the big names for the life of me though the as i watched her i could have sworn that was diane lane i i swear to god she looks like uh diane lane in in that film at that time but uh yeah i was a little stunned because uh, that's also that's also um uh wonder woman's mom she plays oh. hippolyta in the uh in the uh wonder woman movies oh cool i didn't realize that yeah no so yeah, she's got uh, she's got some cred. Does anyone have anything else to say about 1998 Soldier that we haven't already said? No, sir. It's a movie. <laughs> it's definitely a movie, <laughs> and we watched it. <laughs> That's right. It's a movie you can watch. <laughs> yeah, we watched the hell out of it. It's got Kurt Russell. <laughs> no, a fun film had lots more potential. Need <laughs> need some tweaks. <laughs> Yeah, it's unfortunate. I I think the uh, the budget was about sixty million, and it only made like fourteen and a half or something in the box office. <laughs> That's gotta stay. <laughs> they had yeah. thought they had thought of a sequel. If it had done well, there would have been a sequel. Uh, which I don't know. I have to think it would have just ended up being kind of the same story. Uh, he goes to, with them to you know the Trinity Moons and. He and his soldier friends settle down somehow. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what that story would have been. Maybe that would have been the more tropey one that years later, and he finally integrates into, and he has to like be a soldier again when so and so something threatens the the colonies or something. See, that's where that's where you actually kind of want to challenge Hollywood. There is something to the soldier character, and he played it well. If you were to get him to the Trinity Moons. And just go ahead and go full drama. A man getting over this and whether or not he can get over being this. Like, let it be okay and let it all be about what's in this man's head. Mm. That could have been fun. You'll never get that thing. No, <laughs> no, no, it's true. That's what I don't can't, know. <laughs> you can't 180 a, a, a franchise like that. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if fun is the word you should use would be the descriptor. <laughs> right. It, it would be not, interesting. Yeah, yeah no, it, 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 potential. Uh, it, it, but <laughs> it would have potential. It would be interesting. I don't know if fun is the right no, word. No, 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 because it would have to go pretty heavy to to, to yeah. Uh, so that's the sequel I would like to I would like to see. I was actually hoping maybe someone had. I just looked it up to see if there had been any novelizations of this. Maybe someone grab the story and flesh it out in a book, but I couldn't find anything. No, that's yeah. a shame. That'd yeah. Be, yeah. That would have been neat to see if uh, people's had like done a, uh, you know, published a, a, a sequel or something in book form. Yeah. That's always something you know, with the screenwriters when they do something and they always say, Oh, I'd really like to have ke- continued the story, but you know, it didn't do well. Like there's books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you write it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Publish tell, a book, man. Tell yeah. the story you didn't get to because the budget and all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or or when the the screenwriters they want their oh I want my name removed because it was terrible that film was awful like 
Well, could you publish the the story you wanted to tell, hey. please? Put it in a book so I can read it? Yeah, no, yeah. if there was more and better, then give me more and better. <laughs> right. You can self-publish now. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's and- it. That's it, guys. We we have found the movie that has driven us to read. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is going to do it. Floyd, thanks very much for joining us on this one. It was fun. Uh, you are actually going to come back in two weeks, and we're going to talk about probably one of the most well-known Kurt Russell films. Yes. Big Trouble in Little China. I'm looking forward oh, to yeah. seeing this. It's probably it's been years since I've seen it. it. Has it been a decade? I bet you it's been a decade since I've watched this. <laughs> I have actually happy. watched it recently with my son to introduce him. To ah, it. nice. So I'm, nice. I'm just dying to watch it again so that I have it fresh in my head. I love this movie. It's just so much. Fun. Yeah. All right. Cool. You know, I think I'm gonna try to get my wife to watch that one. There's no way she would watch Soldier, but. I think she'll watch Big Trouble in Little China. It's got its action scenes, but it's a comedy. Yeah. Tell her there's a love story there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tell her what Jack Burton would do in that situation. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, we will be back in a couple weeks with Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, Until then, thank you very much for listening. Look forward to hearing any comments on this or any episode. And uh, please join the Facebook group, all that good stuff. Tom, thank you very much for joining me. Yes, sir. Floyd, once again, thank you very much. Absolutely. And we'll talk to everyone later. Bye. See you. Bye.